Welcome to Federal Insights for July, a stronger approach to managing cyber identities and network privileges, sponsored by CyberArk on Federal News Network. Welcome and thanks for joining us. My guest today is Brian Murphy. He's the Senior Director for Consulting Services and IR at CyberArk. Brian, good to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Tom. Let's talk about the big issues in ID management and endpoints, because endpoints have proliferated as people do more teleworking. And I think the number of endpoints per user has been kind of steadily on the rise anyway for quite some time now. So what's the latest thinking for best practices in identity management such that you can trust what's coming in from a given endpoint? To trust what's coming in from an endpoint, what we're seeing in the industry is that we want to constantly be re-verifying, recertifying when they're coming in from. We want to operate, if we can, from a position of zero trust, meaning that we're going to verify everything that you do as you do it, instead of just giving you standing access to all the systems, just because you're an employee of a system or, or a contractor within an organization. And does that mean that you continuously recertify, say, in a given session or from session to session or something in between? It's configurable. So, Tom, this is where we could have it where it's you authenticate session for session, right? It could be also down to the detail where, depending on the task you're running or the system you're accessing, you need to uh, recertify. So as an example with, with Zero Trust, maybe we do something as an example where we see a user logging in from, let's just say Boston. But then two hours later, we see that same user trying to log in uh, from Mexico. So this is where we may wanna do some additional authentication to recertify, knowing that this may be an attack. Just from the standpoint based on the location, there's no way possible with today's travel that someone could make it from Boston to Mexico within two hours. So these are, the, these are the type of data points we wanna bring into the authentication process using this type of, of detail or data that we have versus just, I know the username and password or I, I pushed a, a token for them to approve on their mobile device. Sure, so there's a time and geospatial kind of component to that. What about from application to application because someone might have privileged access at one point in the network but maybe not have it somewhere else on the same network in a different application. Yeah, and this is, this is where we can get into not only the uh, zero trust, but also the just-in-time element of this where we're not gonna give you any standing access, but as you need the access, we'll give it to you for the short term you need. So this way, that user that we're doing the zero trust with doesn't have access to all applications when they get into the system. But if they do need to go over to a second system, we verify again how they get over to that system, how they access that application, and then if it's justified or approved before they can enter into that, that application. And I guess the question then comes up is how do you manage this in such a way that there is some facsimile of a reasonably good experience for the user? Because you could make someone re-log on every time they you know, get up and get a cup of coffee on the train and come back or something, or they leave their desk for a minute, or each time they move from application to application, they could have to re-authenticate themselves. But that gets to be, that's the old paradigm in which people are saying it's just too much work and people will find workarounds. That's today's paradigm. And, and I'll, I'll tell you, Tom, I think we're all, we all have an example of this, of where you have what I call the 
the authentication or the MFA fatigue of having to log in and do this. And different tools have been out there trying to solve for this. And where it gets really tricky is that, you know, legacy tools don't integrate with this or certain things can't accept it. We've, we've heard all, all the reasons, but really what it comes back to is that user experience and how do you make sure you're authenticating the user when you need to. And if you need them to interact to approve something, you're doing it at the time that, that they need and not forcing them to do it at every step. So an example of this, of what you can do with CyberArk is have somebody log into the portal, for example, and do the MFA, we'll call it the traditional push notification, go ahead and improve it, they're logged into the system, and then have a, a time delay where they can open several applications that they're approved to use from the system without having to MFA again. So we can start to suppress some of those alerts and those uh, approval things to do. However, at the same time, we can also have it where if there's a specific application or a certain configuration where you want them to MFA every time, or if they don't come from a certain area, we add this additional approval, we can configure the system to do that as well. So this is where it's not a one size fits all, but we, we really operate in the space of keeping the security high while also keeping the user experience high, which is very challenging to do because just like you said, Tom, if you, if you build something and they, have, they get that fatigue, they're going to find ways around your controls. And just a detail question, a little bit in the weeds with respect to that multi-factor authentication. If in fact, it sounds like you're talking about a code that is sent to someone in addition to the logon credential they already used, does it matter whether that code goes to a second device such as the cell phone or to email on the same device? Well, codes, codes can be intercepted, right? So to your point about the way we want to authenticate, we can do this several different ways. We can do it through biometrics, right? We can do it through a push notification versus a text message that can be spoofed or replicated or an email that could be stolen. So this is where there's different elements or, or different layers of security, I guess you can say, to the way we do MFA to these users. And we have to decide what's going to fit our population that we have and what is the uh, either convenient way for them to do it and the most secure for us meaning the corporation or the, or the network. What we like to see is the push notification because this way it's tied to a single device. It's not something that can be easily spoofed on there or even using the biometrics to log in. The, the text messages anymore or the pushing to email is really something that can be easily intercepted and used to log in that we, we sort of shy away from that with our customers when we deploy this type of solution. All right, so we have a lot of variables here. You have the person's privileges based on their role. You have the different devices. And as we've talked about, they may have more than one device that need to be used simultaneously in a given session, if that's your methodology of, of the notification and the authentication factor. There might even be a peripheral that has the biometric if it's not part of the PC or something. And then, uh, so you've got so you've got device identification, you've got roles, and you've got personal ID. How do you tie that all up in some kind of cogent architecture that is sustainable by the organization and also makes it easy for people to do their work in, authentic, in a zero trust authenticated way? Yes, and, th and this is where your identity governance uh, solutions come into play. And we need to have a map, for lack of a better way, to link all of this together to know when we're going to take which actions against certain either commands that are run, tasks that are done, systems we're gonna access from, from which users. 
And we want to start to build this out so that we know when we need to authenticate our users as they access the system. So as an example here, Tom, if we know someone's coming from the outside, for example, or they're, they're accessing through a portal that could be publicly available, we may have a different set of uh, identity controls on here as to how we authenticate them, what information we need. I think we've all been through CAPTCHAs before and the CAPTCHA says, click on the, click on the pictures or you know, type in the phrase that you see here. And if you get it wrong, it may give you another one, so on and so forth. This is something very similar that we wanna do for, for our users, but we wanna to try to minimize the amount of inputs they have to make so that we can get the data we need to prove the identity that they are who they say they are. And are there like behavioral elements that can be added to the profile of someone? I mean, typical ways they would be doing tasks. People do very often the same thing day after day, and but no one does exactly the same thing day after day. So is there a degree of variance from what would be normal, con considered normal behavior by the system monitoring this that would trigger an alert and say, this may not be George doing that today. Absolutely. And it could also be that we do it from like a certain IP address. You work from home all the time. You do this when you access it, but you know, now you're at a hotel. So maybe it's somewhere different. There's, there's a lot of elements we can add to it. We can say, we see that they log in between these specific hours or they do these tasks during these normal core hours. So we'll use that as a way to, to validate they are who they say they are. But then to your point, even if those controls, let's say, are, are failing and the attacker is masquerading during those same timeframes, when the attacker tries to do escalate and do something else outside of the norm, that's where we can say, hey, this isn't normal traffic that George is doing. Let's go ahead and, and make sure that this is George and have him authenticate one more time. And this can all be automated, right? You don't have to have, say, your security operations center watching 100,000 users looking for red lights. No, sir. That would be that'd be too much, right? Like they have enough to watch for. And if we if we made this a, a manual process, uh, I like to put it as we're trying to find the needle in the haystack. Uh, it would be impossible for them to manually find that needle. So, in other words, CyberArk can and solutions that maybe you compete with. This is all programmed, and it, it runs in the background. Absolutely. And what what we're trying to do here with our solution suite that we have is increase the overall security posture, especially with the different types of attacks we see in the news lately. But while we do that, we wanna make sure that the user experience doesn't suffer. And it's, it's, it's a really tough thing to do because as we tell our customers that work with us, CyberArk, it's like a slider. You can slide it either towards security or towards operational efficiency, or we'll say user experience here. It's not, you can slide both of them up simultaneously. You kinda of gotta choose one or the other. So it's, it's a really tough thing to do. And this is where we try to offer solutions that apply that balance. So as we started the conversation, this is why you heard me say, you know, some things could be different ways of securing it. Could be a lot more strict for specific assets or applications we're accessing where maybe they're a little bit more on the operational efficiency side for others. And that's why we built our applications in a way where they can give you that flexibility that you're not setting a authentication prompt or a security control for one user, for every way they access every system. We have different inputs as to how we do that authentication. All right, well, I've got some more questions, but first we're gonna take a short break here. My guest today is Brian Murphy. He's Senior Director for Consulting Services and IR at CyberArk. I'm Tom Temin. This is Federal Insights, a stronger approach to managing cyber identities and network privileges. 
sponsored by CyberArk here on Federal News Network. As the global leader in privileged access management, a critical layer of IT security, CyberArk protects data, infrastructure, and assets across the enterprise, in the cloud, and throughout the DevOps pipeline. CyberArk delivers the industry's most complete solution, helping federal agencies meet today's challenging security and compliance requirements. And CyberArk is trusted by the world's leading organizations, including more than 50% of the Fortune 500, to protect against external attackers and malicious insiders. Visit CyberArk.com to learn more. That's C-Y-B-E-R-A-R-K.com. Welcome back to Federal Insights, a stronger approach to managing cyber identities and network privileges sponsored by CyberArk here on Federal News Network. My guest today is Brian Murphy, the Senior Director for Consulting and IR at CyberArk. I'm your moderator, Tom Temin. And Brian, let's talk about this idea of ID non-repudiation. What is that exactly and how do you control that so people with full privilege can get reauthenticated during a session and making sure that people can do exactly what they need to do, but not more than they can need to do in that context of non-repudiation. That's a good one, Tom. And the non-repudiation, just in, in definition of itself, basically means whatever is done with an account or on a system, we can tie it back to a user. And the user has no way to say, that wasn't me, that was somebody else we can prove that was who we say it was on the systems. So we'll start with that little definition there uh, in, in, you know, I guess layman's words, layman's terms. The, uh, the way we prove this is we do this through strong, uh, strong identification or authentication. And when we, we have strong authentication in place, what this allows for is us to be able to say, there's no other way for someone to log onto a system, but George in our example here because the only way George can log in is he had to use his phone. He had to multi-factor. He had to be in this location. All the controls we talked about earlier on here in order to access the system. And what we, what we found in, in previous years with privileged accounts, just as a little example here, customers would tell us, I know George was on the system because it had George-admin in the logs. Well, Unfortunately, George's admin was just a username password authentication. So we couldn't prove it. it was George. And then someone else didn't steal his credentials. So this is where the non-repudiation element comes in, is having that strong authentication that no one can refute that George was the one on the system with that account. So that's where the, the multi-factor has to be the right factor would help that. Right. And for having these solutions that control ID, that control the multi-factor authentication, that make sure kind of people are trafficked the way they should be and their, and their privileges are trafficked the way they should be. Are agencies tending to go to cloud-hosted solutions for this kind of thing? Because cloud introduces another, I guess, set of pathways for data to travel versus hosting these things in their own network operation centers or data centers. It, it does. And it's a it's a trade-off. And, and I don't mean that in a, in a negative way because the cloud has a lot of benefits to it around the security, the configuration, the alerting that we get uh, from the data. So you're now moving from a, a small data to a big data type deployment. So for example, with the cloud, if we have all of our identities working through that stack, we can see that, oh, someone's doing this password attack. So now let's make sure that all of the companies that are managed within a single cloud solution don't use that password or that they're aware of these type of things. Where if we were just on premise or hosting it ourselves, 
we wouldn't get that same visibility. We wouldn't be alerted on these things. So there's a lot of value add there, but with that value add, there's also risk because we don't own the infrastructure. We're not taking care of that layer that if something does happen, it is attacked, someone's able to move around, our data could potentially be exposed or even our credentials to the systems. So it's something that every agency needs to uh, figure out their appetite for risk. Uh, it's, it's not one of those where we can say, this is, this is the way all should go to the cloud or all should stay on-prem because clearly based on sensitivity, sensitivity is going to drive what our appetite for risk is. Uh, understanding that these are systems, they're written by humans with code, code is prone to errors, people find ways around it that we are constantly seeing patching upgrades, things of that nature have to uh, take place. The, uh, the last value add I'll give you from the cloud perspective is the hosting provider takes care of the patching for you and you don't have to do it. And aside from taking the task away from you, what it also does is it keeps customers current where we may see customers or even agencies here lag six months, a year behind to get something deployed from a patch perspective. It's going to be done automatically when you use the cloud. Let me ask you something from a different vector here. Everyone is concerned about ransomware and ransomware is, has a lot of vectors. You can invoke malware in your system by really sophisticated phishing attacks. And I think in the age of elevated telework, people might be more susceptible to that kind of overture. If you get an email that looks, you know, like it's authentic from the outfit, from the organization, the agency or whatever, but very often ransomware that is the taking of data in turn for ransom is the more accurate way to put it comes in through standard old fashioned network hacking. Can any of these tools be employed in such a way that they can detect what looks like a user, but, look at it and say, well, this is none of the above in terms of the authentication factors we have for authorized users and therefore lessen that, that particular threat? They, they can, Tom, I'll, I'll say it slightly in a different way. So I right. definitely know where you're going with this one is right now, when we consider access to a system, we consider Brian is Brian the whole way through the process or, or Tom is Tom uh, through the process of where you're getting to. When you start, looking at ransomware, it's about having different gates. And an example of this is, I'll, I'll give you a real, real example I did uh, probably about a month ago for a, a public company. And the user went to a website to look up some news, had one of those ads on the side, clicked on the ad, and the ad started a campaign to try to get uh, malware to download to the system, so on and so forth. So how this comes back to is that, you know, it's not just about the identity. They had administrative access, the identity, uh, was able to then move to another system without the strong authentication and the identity uh, aspect we're speaking about here to get to a different system and start the proliferation where they were able to get domain administrative credentials from the organization. This was all done automated. This wasn't something where they were attacking them or looking to get to the this company. It was just a drive-by. So this is where identity is not the only source of this, but identity can be the absolute gate where if we do have that strong authentication where we say, hey, wait, it doesn't look right that you're accessing this, this account or don't use the same account to surf the web that you can access to manage servers, we can put a lot of these controls in place with identity to really help mitigate some of the, the abilities that ransomware attackers have to, to get to the networks. Sure, and I guess my follow-on to that is 
you mentioned things that can be intercepted and you have to be careful of those email sending of authentication factors and so on. Can any of these systems be configured to detect man in the middle attacks? You know, when you were being eavesdropped at one time on the telephone, you could always hear a little click, you know, a man in the middle in the cyber world. Uh, it's very hard sometimes to detect something is going the wrong way and then coming back at you after having been purloined. Can these be used in, to, in man, in the, man in the middle types of situations? I'm not sure the identity side can do exactly that, Tom. There are absolutely tools that can do this uh, to look for that interception. And, um, you know, CyberArk even has, uh, has one to do this with the threat analytics. We can say, hey, you know, you're not coming from the same place you were, but you're still trying to access the same, same resource. So there, there are ways to do it. Uh, from the identity side, the, the best example of this would probably be like that geolocation or you're trying to access multiple resources where we prompt you again for the authentication. So the, the, identities, the identity element sticking only to that in this conversation, uh, having that conditional access that prompt each and every time you do something that doesn't fit the baseline we set for your profile is really going to be that deterrent from this ransomware attacker really gaining access to other assets within the organization. Right. And zooming back out, something you mentioned earlier, I want to just follow up on. You talked about ID governance system is kind of a overarching framework in which to look at this whole ID management. What exactly should be the elements of an ID governance, governance system and how should it be working in an agency? So the identity governance solutions should be working to identify all the accounts, privileges you have within your agency. We should know what they should have access to, what they shouldn't. As people move around and change roles and responsibilities, the identity should morph with that. Companies that don't have identity governance solutions, you'll actually see that you get this sort of scope creep where you create God accounts because someone moves from job to job to job and we always add permissions, but never remove. And, and this is what the attackers are looking for is who's the user that's gonna give me the access to the most stuff so that I have less steps to get to the credentials I'm looking for. So when you, when you move into the identity governance suite, a lot of the customers that are doing this with us, if we ask them, how many service accounts do you have? How many people do you have that are, have this level of permission? You can put in whatever question you want here. They can turn around a report. They can do a recertification process to make sure they know everyone who has that access. But what it also does is it allows you to know if an additional account was created, a rogue account, something random, you can be aware that this is potentially something we need to investigate further because it doesn't follow our governance process. And this does take you beyond simply directory management then, doesn't it? Absolutely. All right. Uh, that's great note to close on. Absolutely. Gets you beyond directory <laughs> management to the whole world of ID governance. I want to thank today's guest. Brian Murphy is the Senior Director for Consulting Services and IR at CyberArk. I'm Tom Temin. You're listening to Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, please visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search CyberArk. Thank you for listening to Federal Insights for July, sponsored by CyberArk on Federal News Network. 
As the global leader in privileged access management, a critical layer of IT security, CyberArk protects data, infrastructure, and assets across the enterprise, in the cloud, and throughout the DevOps pipeline. CyberArk delivers the industry's most complete solution, helping federal agencies meet today's challenging security and compliance requirements. And CyberArk is trusted by the world's leading organizations, including more than 50% of the Fortune 500, to protect against external attackers and malicious insiders. Visit CyberArk.com to learn more. That's C-Y-B-E-R-A-R-K.com.